You know, to some, it's lost its sparkle. To others, they are just beginning to cozy up to it. Others have been enjoying it for some time. And yet others want nothing to do with it. What is it? What am I talking about? Anybody want to have a guess? They put the slide up too soon. <laughs> Spoiled my surprise. But anyway, you can see that hidden word there. Let's put the next slide up there now that you guys have um, got to be on my side. All right. That's really what it looks like, doesn't it? <laughs> it wasn't the tiny bit. Can you see that, Louise? Dealing with sin. I'm mindful that uh, this isn't necessarily a popular subject, <laughs> all right? And, uh, but the trouble is we've all got it. Some people in here might say, well, I don't sin. I've dealt with it. I don't have any more trouble with sin. Well, that's good on you, but <laughs> it's actually say, it actually says, and um, Apostle John says, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. I've said the story before about a young man who asked me, because they saw me as being older, whether we ever get to that place where we don't sin. <laughs> and I thought that would be really nice. But then I thought I wouldn't need the blood of Jesus if I could actually say that I don't sin. And so communion would be pointless in a sense, because we all need the blood of Jesus. Amen? We all need it. So it's important that we talk about it, and there's a very important reason. It's not a matter, you know, of whether we sin or not. It's the grip it actually has over us. And, if, and then whether we want a closer relationship with the Lord. So the grip that it has on us can actually restrict our growth. People may say, yes, I know Jesus died on the cross for me. Yes, I know he paid my, for my sins, and I'm grateful. And yes, I do ask him to forgive me from time to time, especially when I feel bad. But that sort of attitude actually doesn't make any changes. We don't change. We just go on doing that sin. You know, if I was to walk around the room and I was to say, Elsie, what's your biggest sin? <laughs> well, Paul, what's your biggest sin? You know, I was walked around the room and say, you know, Charlie, or wherever. You wouldn't want to tell me. Why? Because we're embarrassed about it. And Christians aren't supposed to sin. Isn't that right? So we wouldn't want to let anybody know. We wouldn't sit around the room and say, oh, man, oh, dear, oh, that. We keep it secret. And while it's secret... The enemy can play whoopee with us because it's held in secret. You know, the Apostle Paul was horrified when he heard that some people in the Roman church were saying that now that there's grace, they can sin even more. Because if they sin even more, they get more grace. There was that belief 
And so in Romans 1.4, and the scripture will come up there. What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? He says, by no means. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ, Jesus, were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. I'm hoping that you read these scriptures when I put them up. You know, I do the PowerPoint. I don't have a secretary. I don't have a PA. I can't just say, look, could you do a PowerPoint for me? I've got to do this. So I'm hoping you actually read these scriptures. And for some of you, if I ask for a show of hands, this is the only scriptures you've been reading this week. Amen? (laughs) I heard a few truthful people saying, amen. But what does this mean? If we look at the next slide here, there's a, put, a, put a picture up. And it's quite a simple, I drew this as well. But here is the cross. And Jesus, as we heard in communion, he died on the cross for us. Where did he go? He went into the grave. Is that right? But then he rose from the grave, his resurrection, and into a new life. That sacrifice, but he died in the grave. And what did he leave behind in the grave? Pardon? Well, they actually found something in there, Mark. What did they find? His grave clothes, that's right. And so what, they would have been yucky, wouldn't they? They were wrapped around him, a dead body and all that. He left behind his yucky grave clothes. And likewise, our stuff, when we came to come to salvation, we come through the cross. We come to the cross. And when we get water baptized, give me a wave if you've been water baptized. Oh, it's most of you. Praise God. So what happens is we go into the water, we leave behind our old self, and we come up a new person. That's the purpose. Well, like Christ, we die and go into the grave and come up a new person. Now, when I was in West Church, we were dealing with a lot of new believers. In fact, we had about 500 a year coming through at that time. They could, some of them would just be visitors, and I wouldn't get to speak to them. But about half of them, we would try and encourage, and try and encourage to be water baptized. And some would say, well, I'm not, not quite ready for it yet. You know, I just still want to be doing some partying. I still want to go to nightclubs. I still want to do this. I still want to do that. But when we come to salvation, it's important that we get water baptized so that we can be the new creature that God asks us to be. You know, in Romans 6, it says, For we know that our old self was crucified with him. In other words, died, dead. So that the body ruled by sin might be done away with that we should no longer be slaves to sin because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. So just think about your own life now. You were water baptized and think about how many sins you've committed since then till now. Anybody want to give me a number? (laughs) It's in the hundreds, isn't it? It's in the hundreds. 
And we're all going to make mistakes. But sometimes sin grips us and it has a hold of us. Solomon tells us in Proverbs, For your ways are in full view of the Lord. You thought you were doing it in secret. You thought nobody knew. And he examines all your paths. The evil deeds of the wicked ensnare them. The cords of their sins hold them fast. And you're going to say that you're not wicked. And I would agree with you. But unfortunately, it's not only the wicked that get ensnared. Christians do as well. Young people, I'm sure you all know right from wrong. Amen? And I hope and pray, and we do, and your parents do, that you don't get caught up in the evil things of this world. But you may not know that one of the worst sins listed in the Bible I've got your attention. <laughs> One of the worst sins mentioned in the Bible is disobeying your parents. Paul, writing to Timothy, says, But mark this there will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents. Ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power. Now, I'm not just picking on young people because when I had those words shown to me as a parent, I went and apologized to my dad for how I used to behave when I was a teenager. And he was very gracious to me. And he said he'd forgotten. But I wanted to put things right. And I think we can all put things right. Because there's a promise. And I'm not picking on the young people. I just wanted to start there. Because the promise is that if we obey our parents, it actually says that it'll go well with us and we will live a long life. So there's a promise to it. And I encourage you to step into that promise. You can't be, have a, a form of godliness in church, a form of godliness in your group, a form of godliness in limitless, and yet be ungodly at home. It doesn't work. And it's the same with us as adults. We can't have a godliness in church and raise our hands and ask the Lord and then go home and do whatever. It's, it's just not right. Paul tells us in 2 Timothy, flee also youthful lusts, but pursue righteousness Faith, love, peace with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. There's a relationship there. Pursue. 
When I was in the police, you had to be fit. Some people will know that. Because some people decided to run away. It was very annoying. You'd pull them over, they'd get out of the car, and then they'd run. All right? Now, you weren't absolutely sure what they were running away from, but you were pursuing them. You were going to catch them. And over fences, and you'd, one guy, he went over, it was at night, he went over this fence, high fence, and then I heard, ah, on the other side. But I was going so fast that I went over the fence as well, and I knew why it was ah, because it was further down the other side than it was on this side. <laughs> pursuing, I was pursuing them, I was running as fast as I can. But then I realized that I'm not, I wasn't always as fast a runner as they were, so I had to use some tricks. Being a little fellow, I'd say, the dogs are on the way. What? He's, and his brain is going, dogs? <laughs> All right, I give up, I give up, okay. <sighs> so, pursuing is you wanting to catch something. You're after it, if you can imagine that. You're pursuing it. But it says at the beginning of there, if we're still looking at 2 Timothy, what's the first word? Flee. And so if you imagine the, the, the thief or the disqualified driver, what is, he is, he's running as fast in trying to get away from me. And so that's what it's saying to us. That's the picture in your mind that you are running to get away from something. And then you pursue righteousness. You're running to catch something. And I've seen you guys in the youth as well here, running around in circles. I've seen you going flat out because you know there's a prize. And there's the prize of Jesus Christ as well. So the second verse says, Submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. The devil is always asking you to cozy up to him and his promises. That apple that came off the tree in the Garden of Eden looked good. I love a good-looking apple. But you know, after a few bites, that apple became sour in the stomach. It can look good, but it can end up being sour in your stomach for your life. If we could just put up the words to Caitlin and Ashley's song. I love this. I love this song. We sung it this morning. They're just um, looking for that for me. Is that the first verse? Okay, sec second verse. I won't give up because I know your heart. I won't give in to temptation. I am strong. You are the strength in me. There's an anointing on that. I'm going to cry. If we just sing that in church, there's a form of godliness. If we behave that in life, it'll change our life. In the next verse... I hunger, I hunger, I'm hungry 
for more of you. And I'll come touch on that, but that's the key. That's very prophetic, and I'm thankful for that. Thank you, girls. I want to look at a story of Achan, a soldier in the Israelite army. You might say he was a Christian in church. He knew the rules. He knew what was expected of him. But this is one of many examples in the Bible which God shows us the individual sin can have a wider consequence. And that's why I'm bringing the message today, not only to save you, but to save this church. But the Israelites acted unfaithfully in regard to the devoted things. Achan, son of Carmi, of the tribe of Judah, took some of them, so the Lord's anger burned against Israel. Achan took some stuff. They were told when they go into Jericho, it was the first city, they were told not to touch any of the plunder. The plunder was to be brought back and not to touch it. They were not to keep it, they were not to have it. The plunder was to come back to the Lord. It was honoring the Lord. The Lord was going to give them that territory, and they were to not covet it, but to take it. But Achan decided that he wanted some. And when lots were cast, Achan was identified and questioned by Joshua. Achan replied, is it, tr it is true, I have sinned against the Lord, the God of Israel. When I, saw in, when I saw the plunder, a beautiful robe from the Babylonia, 200 shekels of silver and a, a wedge of gold weighing 50 shekels, I coveted them and took them. They are hidden in the ground inside my tent. As I said before, you guys would not want to tell me your sin. Because we hide sin. The only people that knew that that was there was his family, Achan, and who else? Somebody said it? God. And that's why God was angry. They went up and they tried. Of course, nobody knew. It was a hidden sin. But when the Israelites went to attack the next, the next fortified city, Ai, they actually were routed, and 36 soldiers were killed. That was unheard of, because God had always protected the Israelites. They didn't die in battle. It was amazing. But 36 Israelites had died. And then Joshua cried out. The pastor, you might say, cried out. Why? Why aren't we getting any blessing? Why is there no power? Why aren't we getting experiencing the presence of God? We seem to be doing everything right. And the Lord said to Joshua, slide 10 there. The Lord said to Joshua, stand up. What are you doing on your face? And then he said, Israel has sinned. You can see the connection there. Who sinned? He didn't say Achan had sinned. He said Israel had sinned. It was a corporate thing. They have violated my covenant, which I commanded them to keep. They have taken some of the devoted things. They have stolen. They have lied. They have put them with their own possessions. 
That is why the Israelites cannot stand against their enemies. They turn their backs and run because they have been made liable to destruction. They opened a door to allow the enemy in. I will not be with you anymore unless you destroy whatever among you is devoted to destruction. Can anybody see why I'm trying to talk about sin this morning? You could be responsible. I could be responsible for why we're not seeing the power and presence of God in our church. Is it because God doesn't love us? Is it because he doesn't want to show his power and presence? Or is it because we come in with dirty hands and an unclean heart? Do we have a measure of holiness and godliness on Sundays, but the other six days of the week, we just do what we like? I'm picking on us all. I'm talking to myself. If you feel uncomfortable, feel uncomfortable. I'm sorry, because I feel uncomfortable when God puts his finger on me and what, what my life. Pastor doesn't mean perfect. Pastor means shepherd. And we're all in this together. I don't succeed, you don't succeed, if we don't succeed together. In the New Testament, we're just thinking Adam and Eve were put out of the garden. They had a great relationship with God, but when sin entered, boop, they were out. Imagine getting to heaven and realizing that you can sin in heaven. It wouldn't be heaven, would it? Well, it couldn't be the Garden of Eden if sin was allowed in there. They had to go. But I'd like to see more of the Garden of Eden here on earth. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Anybody prayed that? Well, who wants it? Emma. There's a hand out the back. Who wants a slice of heaven on earth while we're here? Who wants to just wait for it till we get to heaven? No. The Lord said, this is what you've got to pray. Thy kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. If we look at the New Testament, because somebody could say, well, that's just the Old Testament. Let's look at the New Testament. Let's look at Ananias and Sapphira, and we all know that story. This is slide 11. P Peter says, Ananias, how is it that Satan has filled your heart that you have lied to the Holy Spirit and have kept yourself some of the money you received for the land? Now, it was his land. He could sell it for whatever he likes. He could have brought to the church whatever he likes. He could have said, I need some of this. But he could have said, look, I got 100, whatever. I'm bringing to the church 50. My wife and I are keeping 50 because we've got a few bills to pay. That would have been absolutely fine. He could have said, look, I'm bringing 10, and I'm keeping 90 because we've got a lot of bills to pay. That would have been fine. But it was this form of godliness that he had given all the money to church. 
Ananias, you're such a great guy. You brought all that. You're a hero, you know. You sold your land and gave it. Wow, that's really cool. But he was lying, and it wasn't true. Who knew? God knew. And God told Peter. And, of course, his wife comes in. And this is what I was thinking about Achan's family. They could have potted their dad. They could have potted their husband, and they probably would have saved their lives. They could have, the woman could have said, don't you bring that in here. <laughs> you know what I mean? Don't you hide that under my carpet. You get that out of this place. And the guy would have felt sheepish and probably would have saved his life and taken it to the church and nobody would have been any the wiser. Don't let your brother sin. It's up to our responsibility to tell him. Tell your sister she's wrong. Be strong. Save their life. So the wife could have said, sorry, I've had time to think about this. We stuffed up. And she would have lived. But she lied as well. And then in verse 11, it actually says, great fear seized the whole church and all who heard about it. You know, and I'm not picking on you guys because I love you guys especially the young people. And I, they, they had an, I must tell you a story. They fired off some rockets. I, whenever Lincoln asks me to do stuff, you know, it always seems to be more dangerous than the next thing. There's this sort of thing in this country, it's called health and safety, you know? And I think of the paperwork, you know? But I went along to watch the rockets being fired at the high school there, and it's a very interesting exercise because there were, the exercise was to build these rockets to see how far they could go. So it was sort of a competition and Justin went way out there to wait for these rockets. He didn't really have bothered standing way out there because only a couple got anywhere near him because I think about two people listened to the instructions and they did happen to be the youngest ones in the group which is a good uh, lesson. But some decided that they would dress these rockets up to look like unicorns. You see, you imagine NASA putting legs on their rocket and a horn and ears or whatever. It's not going to fly, is it? So the exercise was to get it as far as you could, but somebody decided somewhere along they're going to do something else. And that's what happens in life. God says, this is what I want you to do. You will fly far. You will go far. But we just decide that alcohol needs to come along. Pornography needs to come along. Lying needs to be added to it. Cheating needs to be added to it. Anger, gossip, whatever needs to be attached to our rocket. And then when Lincoln pulls the cord, our rocket goes, we cry out to God. My life is a mess because we've added stuff to what his purpose and his plan was. Great fear is supposed to come upon us when we hear about sin. But it doesn't because we've got it in our own life. And they say people in glass houses shouldn't throw stones. But if we're all encouraging each other daily, 
we'd be looking for a way to help ourselves and to help our brothers and sisters. You know, Bill Johnson says, more power, more purity. And that has stuck with me for years. If I want to see more power, then I've got to hunger after more purity in my life. And I want to see that in the church as well. I want the presence and power of God. And I'm sure many of you do too. I've seen it. I've been in the renewal in the late 70s, early 80s. I've seen places that if you don't get a seat, you don't sit down. And I'm talking about big venues, the town hall. And it used to frustrate me because my neighbor, who was always late, he would say, save me a seat. I hated it. Because I'd be trying to save these seats, and they're the only ones there. And everybody was coming and wanting these seats, and now I've saved them. I wish he'd save his own seats. And that was it. He ran to church. And I want to see it again. But to get there, we've got to make right choices. The prompting of the Holy Spirit is always guiding us to do better. He's always trying to get us closer to him. To hear his voice. You know, we spoke of the overseas speakers not being able to get there, but it shouldn't make a difference because we should be hungry for the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. I heard that Paris did a good job at Limitless, spoke well. I suggest to Pastor Tark, eh, that she could fill in one of those spaces. <laughs> and you know what? You'd, you'd, you'd do well. But I won't do that. Such is the power of God and the presence of God. You don't need a great overseas speaker. But we're coming back to the Holy Spirit. He's not telling us, don't do this, don't do that. You wear yourself out telling your kids not to do this. You say, don't go up there. You'll hurt yourself. Uh, don't touch that. It's too hot. Don't speak to me like that. I'm your mother. <laughs> well, <laughs> well, you've ever said that? <laughs> he can growl, but from my experience, he wants to take us to the next step. He wants to take us to the next level. He's trying to encourage us to get to a place. The other day I was praying and asking about a decision that Sally and I needed to make. And quite clearly I heard him say, you know the answer. It was like that parent, you know what to do. So I sort of asked again, 
and it came back. You know the answer, and I did know the answer. I was just hoping it would change it. But the thing was, Celine was also praying about the same thing, and he gave her a scripture <laughs> that said, do not go down to Egypt. <laughs> so he talks to us in different ways, but we want that. And if we're stuck in sin, if we're doing stuff that we shouldn't do, we're almost embarrassed to talk to God. Sounds like the gas is running out, isn't it, on the barbecue? Turn the gas cylinder off, Lincoln. Remember the story of the, the four lepers? I don't know if you know that story, but at the time that um, Samaria was, uh, it was the time when Israel was divided. And Samaria had been surrounded by the Armenians, and they were coming to uh, build a siege, and they were not letting any food in. So it was really quite dire in that place. And if we look at uh, slide 13 there, now there were four men with leprosy at the entrance of the city gate. They said to each other, why stay here until we die? If we say we'll go into the city, the famine is there, and we will die. And if we stay here, we will die. So you imagine lepers outside a city, they're, they're, they're outcasts anyway, you can imagine them just being in the dirt and dust, and now there's a famine in the city, so nobody's going to feed them, they're in a really dire position. And really the worst of the worst, they were hungry, you know, they were leprous. And then in, further down it says, so let's go over to the camp of the Armenians and surrender. If they spare us, we live. If they kill us, then we die. You ever felt like that? Your life is so miserable. Let's go into the enemy's camp. But before we go on on that, it's interesting. Where did they get that thought from? Have you ever heard a prompting in your head, a quiet voice telling you to do something? And I don't mean while you're standing outside the bakery. God orders our steps. When we obey the will of God, the promptings of the Holy Spirit, something better than we ever expected is waiting for us. When the lepers reached the edge of the camp, something miraculous had happened. No one was there. The Lord had caused the Armenians to flee, abandoning everything. And it says, the men who had leprosy reached the edge of the camp, entered one of the tents and ate and drank. Then they took silver, gold and clothes and went off and hid them. Isn't that a characteristic? Can you imagine it? From abject poverty to riches beyond imagination. And some of you probably dream about that every Saturday night. 
especially if you're holding a green piece, I'm sorry, a yellow piece of paper in front of you with numbers on it. You're dreaming from going from poverty to absolute riches. But I guarantee it wasn't the Holy Spirit that prompted you to buy that ticket. But that's the comparison for us. Stuck in our ways, the ways of the flesh, and His ways, believe it or not, are way beyond our imagination. And it says there, they returned and entered another tent and took some things from it and hid them also. Then they said to each other, what we're doing is not right. This is a day of good news and we are keeping it to ourselves. If we wait until daylight, punishment will overtake us. Let's go at once and report this to the royal palace. If Achan had done that, he would have lived. If Ananias and Sapphira had done that, they would have lived. They would have realized that what they were doing was wrong, and they put it right. But I'm amazed about this story because we just read it. Here you've got lepers. They're in a bad situation, and then they just have to wander down the road, and then God does this mighty miracle. But what we forget is the thought that went into their head to actually go and do it. Where did that come from? Where did it come from? Who? God. But who speaks for God? That's right, man. We're getting there. Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit suggested to one of those guys, get down the road. Because it was God's plan, wasn't it? Elisha had prophesied that that very next day that they would have food. He was laughed at. So God knew in advance it was going to happen. It was God's plan it was going to happen. And we can step it all into that ourselves if we obey the promptings of the Holy Spirit, which is actually saying, get rid of that pornography. Get rid of that alcohol. Get rid of that stuff so that you can step into the promises that I have for you. Does anybody want that? Or just me getting excited about it? Who's getting excited about getting rid of your stuff? <laughs> yeah, right. We'll know that next week when nobody's here. Because they're holding on to their stuff. Bring your stuff to church. Lay it at the altar. I don't mind. See who's got the most stuff. Now I'm getting off my notes. It says in 1 Corinthians 2.9, the no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no human mind has conceived the things God has prepared for those who love him. Who wants that? Who wants that? What we got to, I've got to finish. I don't want to finish, but I've got to finish. When I was asking the Lord about this, he, he showed me a picture of us holding on to something, whatever it is, holding on to it with our hands. And he said, the only way you're going to get what I have for you is to let go of that 
and to reach out for me. If I want fellowship with the Holy Spirit, I can't be doing stuff. Do you know what I mean? We're trying to do this. One hand, I've got my stuff, and one hand, I want God. It's not going to work, and it's not working, and it hasn't worked. But I want this church to let go of our stuff and that we reach out for the Lord, and we come here on a Sunday, and we're just so hungry for Him because we've been hungry for Him all week. I know you're not hungry. We, we complain about Solomon with his 700 wives, and somebody said King David had 300 wives, but we got the same. Especially if you watch two or three hours of television at night, that's at least two or three programs, that's at least two or three wives, because you're devoted to it. I like the odd documentary as well. I like the one that they're restoring chateaus in, in France. I like that. And, and I realize that that's an hour that I've devoted to that wife. I tell her how lovely she is. She's my favorite. I'm sure they told all their wives that they were their favorite. How would you keep 700? You're my favorite, dear. You're my favorite. You're my favorite. <laughs> As long as the others didn't hear, you'd be all right. So as long as what you're doing, you're telling it it's your favorite, it's your wife. Some of you, it's your computer. Some of you, it's your phone. You're married to it. I'm going to jump. We're going to jump to 17 because I've got to finish. I'm sorry. What are we going to do? We've got to come to a decision that you want to please God more than anything else. You've got to tell him that you want his help with whatever. All your wives, tell him you want help. You only want one wife. And repentance is turning 180 degrees, turning away from it. It's not crying out and asking the Lord to forgive you. It's not crying Repentance is not crying. If you were driving down the highway and you suddenly realized after about five or ten minutes you're on the wrong road, you're not going to pull over, bang your head on the steering wheel, and then cry, <laughs> and then say sorry to the passengers. No, you're going to turn the car around and get back up the road and get onto the right road. Amen? That's what you're going to do. That's repentance. It's not crying about it. It's making a change. Ask him to forgive you and forgive those who have wronged you. Over those many years, write a list. Just forgive them. And then make a decision today to seek the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. Let go. Grab and chase after him. He's there. I want to hear the stories. I want to hear people saying he spoke to me. He came into my room. He came into the car. He came wherever. And through that, collectively, we as a church will grow. Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with him or her, and they with me.
Does anybody want a supper or a meal with the Lord? If you do, let's stand up. Band, come. Come. Stand up. Cry out to God. Just say, Lord, change me. Come into my life in a new way. Touch my life as never before. I hunger for more of you. Or say, forget it. I like my stuff more. Let's just sing Ashley and Caitlin's song, and then we're going to close. But just before we do that, if you don't know Jesus Christ, if you don't know Him as your Lord and Savior, now is the time. Say, Pastor, yes, I want to ask Jesus into my heart. I want to become a Christian. I want the power and the presence of God in my life. My eye has not seen, nor my ear heard, nor my mind conceived the plans I have for you, says the Lord. I died on the cross so that you may have life and life to the full. Do you want that this morning? Give me a wave and say, yes, I want that. Do you want to ask Jesus Christ into your life for the very first time? Then get up to the front of the altar here so that we can pray for you. I'm not going to plead with you. God's been pleading with you.